right, so the general question is, uh, we'll start it, and then you could tell stories as you please, um, or as they come for you. But uh, starting with your reflections of Black Lives Movement and how the NBA has been responding. Well, I think uh, with the Black Lives Movement, the NBA itself has been out in the forefront among uh, sports leagues in terms of supporting Black Lives Movement uh, directly or indirectly by support of some of the charities and some of the programs that are associated with the Black community. And then the league, the NBA itself has not discouraged or been a stumbling block for players to be supportive of the players' own culture. And I think that's based on surely for sure the number of Blacks that are playing in the NBA, but also the history of the NBA. So with Black Lives Matter, I think especially uh, the Milwaukee Bucks have been uh, one of the teams or organizations out in the f- forefront. And I think that this this has as much to do with probably ownership coming from a, a place like New York where there is a lot of diversity. And then I think that the Bucks ownership is a... Uh, is a diverse organization. And so all that comes into play when we look at Black Lives Matter and the support of the NBA. But but it's just the right thing to do. I mean, irregardless of social, economical statuses or political reasons, uh, the right thing to do especially if we're going to build economically and socially and come together as a as a country you know it's a, it's a time in everybody's life or a time in the history of every country and especially here in America that it's just time to do the right thing and and that right thing is not necessarily built on money or or things of that nature, but just a spiritual principle at some point has to come into play to make this country a better country, but not only this country a better country, but a better world in which we're trying to live because, um, you know, black lives, when you talk about black lives, you're talking about most of the population around this world are people of color. And I think what's also been critical is that the Black Lives Matter has been supported by all cultures as well. I think there is many Caucasians or whites that demonstrate in the Black Lives Matter protests and demonstrations. So Black Lives Matter has been a rallying point for this nation and for for a lot of uh, cultures and ethnic groups. And coming from your background, I think it's easy for fans and people who look at NBA players, entertainment, artists, you mean like the whole industry, 
and they always question the fans if people are doing enough. From what you've seen, just, you know, when we look at the, the bubble and even into the season starting and where we are now, are the players doing enough as far as, like, their voice? Because you are a very vocal player, so you know how to express yourself. What would you say about the players today? Well, I think the players today um, have more history to work with in terms of information of the struggles of minorities in this country. So, um, you know, myself as a entertainer or as a player, you know, I was fortunate to be in on the beginning of some of the civil rights activities, but the younger players through their parents and through just living coming into 2000 to the 2000s, they have written documentation of probably some of the struggles and some of the protests that have existed in this country. So so they got a lot of information and most of the players, especially most players come from challenged environments. I mean, I don't think the BU, especially in the NBA with the European players coming from challenged environments in 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 Europe and they come here with the same experiences or growing up in in tough conditions and so I think there's a commonality now among NBA players where guys can really relate to each other social economically and then through social media players are more aware of the difficulties and struggles, uh, be they economically or socially, that goes on in the world. And then when players come together at the college level, you know, this adds, this provides another source of, of information for players. So I think players and society on a whole um, especially with the young guys, you know, they have, it's more of an integrated society, uh, which has given athletes and athletes and their fans um, exposure to different cultures. So I just think today with the um, vast resources for information, social media, and activities where all can can um, participate in the uh, athlete and our fans are more aware of what goes on in the world today. You made a lot of good points with that. I like that you said that there's like this common language now amongst the players, regardless if they're from the United States or overseas. And that's the joy of any form of entertainment, like whether it's music or sports, is bringing people together to speak a common language. So I love that. And one thing you kind of tie to um, that I want to go deeper in is how what are, what are some of the similarities that you're seeing from when you play basketball? Like 
we look at all these years later, and to your point, there has been documentation, there have been protests, people have been killed. All these years in between, what are some of the things that are still similar, and how can players use their voices to address it? Well, I think today the I look back and I, and I want to touch on this is that players now, especially basketball through the AAU system, are meeting each other and socializing with each other at much earlier ages. Uh, where back at one time, the only time you would get to know a player from another part of the country or another social economical environment was when you got to college. But now guys are getting to know each other through the AAU system as early as probably eight and nine years old now. So players are becoming are more so now interacting with each other and talking to each other and through conversation uh players are getting to know other other players from other eras and 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 from across the country i think that's a that's a big thing and then i think think today uh i think ownership in in the nba has has changed tremendously where now and when I think about the differences is that the NBA ownerships are now, I think, some of the most diverse and liberal owners um, in any professional sports because we have a group of younger owners who probably have gained a lot of wealth through technology and social media, and they have probably grown up, been in college with, uh, and in the same environment as as most of our players. As most of our players were back in the day, ownership were basically family-owned businesses, and I think they were an entirely different owner where they had achieved their ownership um, because they were handed down through through various um, families, and now there's more diversity among ownership, so there has to be a better understanding of different cultures, and I think that that is a major difference that I see, and ownership in today's uh, era reach out a lot more and are conscious and interested in the needs of the players and their family, and and ownership now is just interested, I think, more interested in players on off the court as well as on the court. And that's one of the big differences I see as far as nowadays there's an actual understanding by ownership or a desire to work with 
players to make this a better world and a better society. And I think one of those things may have been demonstrated in the desire of teams to open up arenas and stadiums as feeding places during the pandemic and also to open up these buildings to increase or make available to people accessibility to vote. And I think so. The league itself is expressing almost a humanity, a humanitarian humanitarian involvement in the sport. And I think the players appreciate that, that they aren't just seen as just athletes. And I think that's a major difference in today's teams and ownership and the league itself as compared to many years ago where there were a few people that mopped, that monopolized teams and uh, in the league itself. That was one thing that was surprising for me when we started the, or when the NBA, the Milwaukee Bucks started the initiative on Team Up for Change. And so I want to go a little bit deeper into that when we talk about ownership, because I often walk this line prior to that event and even post if ownership was genuine across the league. I mean, we saw what happened on the West Coast and all of those, certainly all of those recordings coming out. We never really know what's happening behind the door, behind closed doors. Do you think this is a genuine interest? Is it growing to be a genuine interest? Or is this something that's just a part of the business plan? Well, I mean, I think it's a genuine interest because, you know, at one time, ownership was like isolated from the players. I mean, now you see younger owners who are closer to the age of the players who can relate to them. I mean, so I, I, I really sense that there's a genuine concern for ownership. Uh, what they say, uh, happy wife, happy life, as far as marriage is concerned. And I think ownership realize uh, happy player, better player. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's, uh, but, but, but I believe that, you know, there's a genuine feel humanitarian-wise for uh, ownership relationship with players. So I uh, and 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 it's a business side too, but I think it's uh it's a good combination where they're able to come come together uh as far as human beings and and to be able to have a good work and business relationship. That's a good point. I think but then when you add all that together, right, you're making a salad, you want all the ingredients, you have the players standing up, you have buy in and support from the fans who purchase the tickets, you have the ownership who's championing as the leaders of the organization. In your opinion, what's stopping change, like real change for black people who live in America, seeing that they dominate, you know, a space of entertainment, they dominate a space in um, elevation of lifestyle, like there are so many things that we look to these players, singers, and artists for. What's stopping the changes if everyone is really on this boat? Well, well, because athletes are just one part, and the most visible part 
But I think change has to come from within the community. Change has to, changes really take place in the communities and through, through education and most cultures that do well, education is the foundation of it. And I think we, we as, as blacks or African Americans or minorities in this country, um, have to take advantage of the opportunities that are available. Although we, no matter what the minority is in this country, we have to do twice as much or three times as much to achieve. But, you know, that's the, that's the plight of any, be it immigrant or minority, that's just a part of the history. Uh, we just have to, it's going to be harder for us to get ahead, but, but I think the, the, the grass, it starts at the grassroots, it starts with education, it starts with, with voting, as the uh, sisters in this country <laughs> have rallied, yeah. you, you know, recently and gotten a lot done, not only uh, Abrams, but just a ton of African-American women and minority women have just been working to to bring some civility and, and to get people out to vote. And I think uh, 2020 has shown the power of the vote and that anything is possible, but, but, but you just got to believe that things are possible and just never give up. And, and, and if we go back to the athlete and, and the story I tell is that probably 60% of the players in the NBA were not the best player in their community. Um, because I personally can always, always think of at least two guys in my neighborhood that were better players, but I was willing to do the extra thing. And the extra things were going to school, being teachable, being coachable, and listening to the adults in the community. And I think that you know, just getting back to basics and, and believing in oneself. And and it's not a complicated formula. Um, it's going to be tough, but it's tough for everybody that's coming from certain environments. Um, if you're not coming from a middle-class environment, then yes, it's going to be tough, but, you know, you can do it because there are vehicles and tools in most communities that um, people that accomplish come out of these things. That's true. I, I like what you just said, though. You gave tools, you give advice uh, to anyone who's listening and wants to contribute, what the Black Lives Matter, or just themselves, you know, personal growth. And so with that, I would love to wrap it up with your final words. I mean, Black Lives Black Lives Matter movement is one piece and one aspect, but there's so much more to us, as you just alluded, like as individuals and what we should instill in our families. Do you have any other final words? Well, uh, you know, I'm just glad to be able to be on the podcast with you to 
scare some of this veteran old timers information <laughs> and uh, because I've been blessed to have seen a lot. I came along in the sixties, uh, you know, and, and one of the most visual pictures for me and I think this particular picture motivates guys like LeBron's, et cetera, is I can remember when they had the picture of Bill Russell, Muhammad Ali, um, Jim Brown, uh, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And that is a legendary picture for me, and it showed athletes coming together, prominent athletes coming together when uh, when Muhammad Ali rejected going into the military. And and I can see just athletes and, and entertainers have really played a big part in where we are today. And even when I look back to the jazz musicians, Sarah Vaughn, Nina Simone, Miles Davis. You know, back during the 30s and 40s, it was the musicians who were at the forefront of the um, civil rights era. And so I think uh, entertainers, athletes, uh, civil rights leaders, attorneys have always led the way. And so I'm just happy to live, been able to live through these eras of the struggle and to see some progress, not great progress, and it is a slow process for you And uh, I'm just glad I got a chance to share some of my thoughts. Well, thank you for joining us. Always get wisdom every time we chat. <laughs> I always get some nuggets, so I'm thankful. <laughs> These stories, they connect us. Celebrities are human too. The ultimate question, what was the journey like to freedom? Wait, freedom is different perspectives. Everyone heals differently. Life and legacy are complex and beauty feels good when it's freeing. We see these individuals everywhere. We see family and friends daily, but do we really see them? Their thoughts, their grief, their pain or struggles. Healing is being strong. If your heart is broken, you'll find God right there. If you're kicked in the gut, he'll help you catch your breath. Remember to breathe. You're stronger than you think. Make sure you follow Invisible Beauty on all social channels at I am Invisible Beauty. Until next time, this is Invisible Talks Pod. I'm Tyra Eland. It's easy to tell people what they should do. It's easy to tell influencers that they should speak up. It's easy to tell companies that they're not doing enough. Who's right? Let's speak to two legends who have experience working in the NBA and what their perspective is. As COVID took over, the game stopped playing and social issues really came to the forefront and they started to matter not only to those who are impacted, but those who are on the sidelines. Let's take a listen. 
to set the platform, you know, you have experience in the entertainment field, in the sports realm. What were your experiences like when you played in terms of racism? There's two different worlds that entertainers and professional athletes experience. There's the world of when you were in an arena, people are cheering you on and the energy and everybody loves you. And that's one world. The second world is when you're out anonymously in this, let's say you're in New York City, you just play in the garden, people are cheering you, and you go to the streets of New York and taxi cabs pass you up because of your skin color. Or you go into an upscale clothing store, you're followed or you're not serviced as well as someone else. And it doesn't matter what city, doesn't matter what part of the country, that was pretty consistent when I played the game of basketball. You lived in two separate worlds as it related to racism and how people viewed you. How did you manage those experiences to think that you entertain people at such a high level and then to see that you could walk into a space, um, be off the court and be treated, you know, unfairly? It was somewhat shocking, but expected. The time that I grew up, those type of incidents were more normal than not. And you just sort of shift your head. Anger certainly was a big part of it. You were pissed off at what was happening. And it wasn't because of who you were. It was just because of fairness was not in play. And you were treated different because of the color of your skin. And it did, it made, made me angry but not to the point of anything than just trying to play basketball. You, you were not as socially conscious during the time I played simply because so many strides had been made, so much progress had been made, and it wasn't – you didn't have social media. A lot of things you – a lot of things were happening, but you didn't see them happening. And you lived pretty much in your own world, which made it difficult to have – too much anger where you acted out or you said things publicly that would have been considered inappropriate. And so one thing you talked about is not having like the same access to all this information and being able to see these different incidents with particularly black men. What are some of the similarities that you still see today that are maybe heartbreaking because we're so many years out and because we've grown on the level of knowledge of recognizing there are differences and creating programs to create a better life for African-Americans. What are some of the similarities that you see today and it's still just as heartbreaking as it was when you experienced it yourself? I would say that today is certainly not like years ago. Number one, progress has been made and there's strides have been made. And you turn on the TV now, you see people of color represented throughout Hollywood. You see people of color represented uh, in the boardroom. You see people owning their own record label. Well, you see so many positive things that are happening that we would have never seen when I was growing up. I hold Hollywood complicit in this diversity, equity, and inclusion deficit that we're seeing because when I watch TV and watch the older shows, and I, I think back when I was a kid, we didn't see positive people of color on TV much nor on the movie screen. Hollywood impacted. We didn't have social media, so all we had was network news and 
TV for entertainment. They drove that narrative uh, of what we saw. And because of that, they shaped not only what people not of color saw, but what we saw as people of color. Uh, I don't think I don't think anyone can, should say that progress has been made. First of all, we need to recognize that racism, discrimination will always be with us. As long as I'm living, you're going to have that in America. You're going to have it in other countries. Uh, the groupthink mentality is prevalent. It always, always has been. The tribalism philosophy has always been a part of our human race in all different parts of the country. However, we do expect some semblance of fairness and equity and inclusion, uh, especially here in the United States. I think to expect total, total diversity, equity, and inclusion is a mistake because it just won't happen. We just want most people to be fair. But the biggest thing that breaks my heart still is how law enforcement sees people of color and how they react to us as if we're all a threat, that they are threatened to the point where they have to use violence to the level that they should not have used. As a black male, I've experienced uh, the view of policemen, and I know in neighborhoods we view them as the enemy. We always have viewed policemen as the enemy, not as a friend, not someone that's there to serve and protect. And that has perpetuated somewhat, I think, in the, the, the mentality with policemen of them seeing us as seeing them as a threat. And they don't really relate to us. They're trying. They don't relate to us on a level that will make it healthy. So I would say it breaks my heart still to see policemen react in the way that they react. It, it breaks my heart to still see people of color still not take advantage of opportunities that are presented for us to advance and do great things. It breaks my heart that we're still blaming, totally blaming a society on things that sometimes we have control over, sometimes we don't. It breaks my heart to know that racism, discrimination is still a big part of of the fabric of our country. So it's a number of things that still break my heart, but my heart is happy for a number of things also. And so I think it's, for me, it's, it's normally a good balance between the two. You said um, a key point when it comes to, like, black men, and that's what we continue to see targeted, um, which shaped the Black Lives Matter movement in the midst of COVID. And we saw a lot of athletes stand up in a way that, at least in my lifetime, I've never seen um, and working in the sports space, it seemed like it was something that was frowned upon for them to stand up a little too tall if they did. Um, what were some of the things that you observed during COVID as players stood up against police brutality and using their voice in their platform? I thought they were very bold in their voice and what they said. I thought they were lacking sometimes in background and researching the history of certain things. Uh, when you have a voice, you have to make sure that your voice is transparent. You have to make sure that it's accurate. You have to make sure that it's pure. Uh, you have passion behind your voice. Sometimes that can cause you to say things that maybe are not in line. But if you take passion and then you take a little bit of transparency and knowledge and research, and now you speak, then I think it carries more weight 
but I was very uh, proud of the voices. In spite of everything I just said, I was very proud of how they stood up for the causes that they thought were very important. Do you feel like there was a lot of pressure put on them to stand up? Because I think it goes back to what you mentioned earlier about the social media platform and, you know, fans feeling as if because you have the money, because you have the spotlight, you need to say something. So maybe players are feeling more pressured than, you know, knowledgeable to speak out on things. Do you think that's fair to an athlete to be pressured into a space to speak? Well, I think it's very unfair. I think it's very unfair to pressure anyone into because everyone has a position in a role that they can serve. Some people, athletes, can be out front and vocal. Some athletes can move behind the scenes politically and in the boardrooms. Certain athletes can move throughout the community to make an impact. I think it's wrong to put every athlete in the same same little ship and say, everyone should vocally protest. No, everyone shouldn't vocally protest because that might not be what they do very well. However, they can do some other things behind the scenes that can affect change. And just so you're doing something positive, to me, that's the most critical, the most critical piece of us and athletes, athletes trying to make sure they, that their voices are heard. I thought the NBA went overboard though with how they presented diversity, equity, and inclusion. I didn't totally agree with all the logos and things, things on the jerseys, on the basketball court. I thought that you alienated more people than you probably had embraced. You alienated more people than, than what you should have, and you probably could have brought more people to the table by being a little more subtle with, with the visual that they saw and then gave them a little bit more of the narrative as you went along. But a lot of people just turned off it, as you know, <laughs> what they saw in the jerseys and what they saw on the basketball court. Right. You became blind to it after a while or, you know, deaf to the comments because it, it oversaturated the game a little bit. And it is yeah. more than a game, but. Uh, no, it's not. Yeah. No, but it's not more than a game. That, that's what we need to realize. It's it's a game of basketball. <laughs> pure and simple. <laughs> it's, a, it's a game of football. Pure and simple. Nothing will change if if uh, if it, if we didn't have basketball. We'd be sad for a little bit. So it's, it is just a game. However, you can take that game platform and use it for the good of our society. I know that's what they were attempting to do. I know that's what they did to some extent. But remember, the people that embraced what they saw were people that would have embraced it had you just not done anything. The people that you want to get to embrace it don't want things just slammed in their face because they're going to just not watch or not respond. Mm-hmm. And that's 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 kind of generally what we have in our society. Let's re- re- rewind that because I feel like the NBA uses this um, slogan a lot, not only for the Black Lives Matter movement, but prior to um, my years in the community, we use it a lot. That basketball is more than a game. How do you feel about that? I feel basketball is just a game. That's all, that's all it's ever been. It's a game it's, and it's there for entertainment. Uh, and then players, front office, and teams can take the power of the game and the audience of the game and do great things within our community and with our, within our country. But make no mistake, it's still just a game, and it's a game that people want to be entertained. It's the way people want to relax, and they don't want to be filling on the edge watching a basketball game. 
because of what's on your jersey. They have to try to interpret it themselves or what's on the basketball court. Black Lives Matter was a wonderful movement. However, it was not explained very well <laughs> to uh, all these people that not of color that were not on that was not already on that train. So because of that, I, I do workshops on it. because of that, that message was just muddled. And I have to, every time I do a workshop, I have to explain what it means, Black Lives Matter, beyond the narrative that was put out there. That makes sense. And I can definitely see that perspective. And I think we see that a lot with social media having communities being built, underlining communities. You're building a community that would already have been passionate and cared regardless of what is being said. So I could definitely see that. Um, if you if you placed yourself in the NBA today, do you think you would have played in the bubble in Orlando with all the things that were happening at that time? Oh, absolutely, because I love basketball. <laughs> I mean, the bottom line is, regardless of what's happening in the world, you love the game, you love the sport that you play, or you should. And you love it to the point where you're going to play it. Uh, will there be times that these false protests were effective? Absolutely. Would you maybe not play in a game because you want to make a statement? Absolutely. But the bottom line is, overall, the game is what we love. So the game is what we're going to play. I love that from because not every um, athlete or legend is going to be as honest about it. It's about the game and period, point blank, and that's what I love. But let's look back um, at the ownership of these teams. Do you feel like they're invested in this Black Lives Matter movement or they're just a part of the organization that's putting together for marketing pieces? I think you're, you're so much on the money for what you're saying or the question you just asked. What is the purity of the movement? Uh, to me, you should go beyond, beyond Black Lives Matter, first of all. And let's get to the, the symptomatic things that are happening within our communities that's causing us not to see the level of diversity, equity, and inclusion throughout our school system, through our government, throughout our leadership, throughout so many things we're not seeing that. Yeah, that goes beyond Black Lives Matter. Uh, and we, and I think the ownership, they're so sensitive to what the public thinks as opposed to, okay, what can we really do to, to make an impact? to change lives beyond whatever the public thinks. When you have pure motives, good things and positive things will happen within your community. And then the teams have to show from the top all the way throughout the organization that, yes, we embrace diversity and inclusion. If you don't have a woman, if you don't have a female, one of your top executives for an NBA team, you don't embrace it. If you don't have an African-American, then you don't embrace it. If you don't have a Hispanic, then you're not really embracing diversity and inclusion. But you just hire people here and there and show the faces on their website and say, we just hired this person, that person. But yet at the very top level, you've done absolutely nothing to, to, to say we really believe in having a diverse background, diverse opinions, diverse, all these different things that we say are important. Until you see that, then they're not totally committed to diversity, equity, inclusion. They might be committed to Black Lives Matter. And talking about policemen and all, but not to diverse extra inclusion. Do you feel like a lot of companies, because I've seen Netflix step up, I, I've seen even some NBA teams that uh, um, that their hands have, have been forced to fill those roles, as you mentioned, to not have basically a, a white male dominant executive team? Well, I hope they have, because they need to. 
<laughs> I mean, they need to do what's they need to do what's right and what's fair and what's equitable. And people always talk about, well, we tried, to, we hired this woman, we hired this uh, this person of color, and it just didn't work out. And I always tell people when they say that, well, how many white people have you hired that just didn't work out? When they just didn't work out, did you just give up on that? Did you just say, well, every white person's not going to work out, so we're not going we're not going to hire white people? Absolutely not. You continue to hire them. Yet, when it's someone of a color, a female, you use the excuse, well, we hired them, but they just didn't do well in this environment. And I just think that's just a cop-out. And what's really shocking is the number of corporations and businesses that are not doing anything, nothing, absolutely nothing, in spite of this movement. That's what's shocking. You you have a lot of experience coaching and guiding people through processes, right, to be better individually, with companies. And I hear it even through your answers. What advice would you give, I think, from the highest level, the owners of the NBA and then players, when we are in a time where people are sensitive to these topics on one side and two, change needs to happen on the other side? Mm -hmm. Two things I would say. Number one, let's get the common language right. Let's make sure we're, we're talking about the same thing. Everyone needs to understand what Black Lives Matter means, first of all. We just can't just say Black Lives Matter. Everyone needs to understand what diversity means. Everyone needs to understand what, what microaggression means. Everyone needs to understand discrimination, what it means. Everyone needs to understand the language and what it means and how it, it is applied in our society. Otherwise, we're giving messages because people are not understanding what's being said. They think they understand, but they really don't understand. And it's not necessarily their fault because we just had to educate them enough. And number two, I would say that we have, we have to have leadership. Leadership, you must, you must be committed. I mean, totally committed and intentional about diversity, equity, inclusion. You must be intentional about every decision you make to hire someone, intentional about every decision you make to promote someone. You have to be intentional about every decision you make to train or develop the people that's, that's, that works for you. You have to make every decision intentional throughout your organization to achieve the goal of diversity, equity, inclusion. Otherwise, the narrative of riots and the narrative of protests is going to drive your decision-making, and that's going to be more short-term. It will not be sustainable, and it will not be long-term. I think that was a great answer, and it's always lovely to leave with a golden nugget in terms of advice for youth, for uh, young management who are striving to, you know, put their footprint in this world and leave a legacy for their children, what advice would you give them in terms of to continue to fight the good fight? And the good fight looks different for everyone, not necessarily to your point of saying the Black Lives Movement, but creating a legacy for their families such as you have. I would say live your life with a sense of excellence because as you as you understand the, the concept of excellence and greatness, then your platform will be a lot stronger, your reach will be a lot wider, and your impact will be a lot greater. So always try to get better, strive to get better every day so you can you can reach greatness. And then when you reach greatness, you start pulling people up with you. You start changing the world. A lot of times we don't do that. We're just out here having conversations, but let's have conversations with us personally, including myself, being the best that we can be on this particular day. That's awesome. I love that. And it, I hear community in that, right? Like, it wasn't done. You didn't do what you did over your years by yourself. You did it with, you know, support around you and asking for help and being willing to contribute to others' success and therefore receiving. 
the, the most powerful thing we have is the ability to create experiences for others so they can get better. It's more. It's not just about what we're doing. It's about how how can we help others be, to become better. That you hit it on the head with that. I love that. I think that's a perfect way to wrap it up. I thank you for your time. I thank you for your wisdom, um, and I thank you for just taking the opportunity to share some of you with all of the listeners. Well, thank you very much. Let's go. Let's embrace diversity, equity, inclusion. Let's get it done. <laughs> <laughs>